Hello and welcome to another edition of the Capiche Filmcast. Stephen Barry here for another thrilling, tantalising episode of the Bond Daft Project. Ranking Bond continues. Today we are ranking the henchmen of the franchise. Not quite the top dog. These guys are very committed to their role as the enforcers of their maniacal villains. And with me to discuss them in great detail, we have our Bond aficionados, Steve McCall. Hey, very good evening to you all. Francis Murphy. Yo, yo, yo. And Gordon Webster. Good evening, Mr. Barry. Assuming I'm not muted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, this 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 category. Oh, by the way, we've got a sponsor for this category. Uh, that's the first. That's we've just been notified by uh, Zorin Industries are sponsoring this this category. So very good of them to send the check for that. Uh, and it doesn't quite. I think they're 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 they said put in a good word for Mayday. So guys, remember that our sponsor has spoken. Um, yeah, and like like Stacey Sutton, you. You never cash us on check, though. There you go. That was quite thematic. I like that. Yep. Uh, yeah. So on this one, we're talking about the, uh, I suppose, the muscle usually, isn't it? For most of the henchmen, there's the odd one that's maybe not the muscle. Uh, Evil Q, I'm thinking of, as we dubbed them from a, a View to a Kill. But most of them uh, usually are the, the tougher Bond adversary. Yeah. So th- th- this is the thing. So we uh, had a bit of discussion uh with the categories you know because obviously most people rank the the villains right as a one catch-all and there's just so many great villains that we felt we had to find a way to to talk about them and this seems like the best way because i feel like it's hard to compare a jaws to uh you know a stromberg and things like that in a sense they serve a different role don't they so that's why we've broken it down and the uh, we're going to talk about our favourites and also least favourites as well, if we have any, of the henchmen. And then we'll also do a villain debate, which will actually be a collective where we try and narrow that down to our top three, potentially. And so this one is not that, though. We're just going to a discussion, uh, round, round table, uh, going through some of our favourites. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll get to the, the least favourites after that as well. Okay, to kick us off... Today, Gordon, let's hear who you want to talk about. Henchman. Okay, Mr. Steve Barry. Henchman, I'm going to give you um, a few names. Um, I think I'd divide them in uh, two categories. I think you've got your kind of realistic henchmen, or semi-realistic ones, which um, just are, are a bit more sort of grounded, and then there's the exaggerated ones. Okay. So I'll give, you a re- I'll give you a realistic one first. Um, Maybe a couple of honourable mentions, because I think, to me as well, henchmen, there's those guys as well that maybe aren't the physical muscle, but they're, they're like villains in the, in the background, which, you know, play a key role. You mentioned, obviously, Dr. Mortner and Abuta Kill. Denby out of Spectre's another good one, and the cool thing with him is, like, he, he's part of MI6, but he's, he's a double agent. But I'd like to start with Dario from License yes. to Kill. Yep. One I know is, is very popular in this, Podcast Benicio del Toro, a big name. Benicio del Toro's got he's got a really sinister look. He's got the most sinister of smiles. I think he was made for that film. If you think of the way License to Kill went, what they were going for, a, a, very, a quite a violent action film. Really, he was he was perfect for that kind of film. He was, he was right at the time, the same as Robert Davi was right at the time for Sanchez, and he was he's perfect sort of one of his right hand men. He um. 
he's just so nasty. He um he was so different to anything you'd seen before. Mm-hmm. And you got to remember the last film, um, Loving Dailies, although it was getting a bit more serious, it was there was still it's still there was still that kind of fun bond world, but um that totally different tone in so many ways going into this film with the with the villains and even the music and stuff like that. Dario is is you know, even even at the end, is it I think another good thing when we're talking about henchmen and villains is the you know the iconic deaths of some of them. His is maybe not iconic, but it's quite a sort of gruesome death. And it's another one of these ones where he's actually killed by um, he's killed by Pam, the same as like when Largo dies. Obviously, he's killed by um, the one the female character. Domino. Um, aye, he's killed by Domino. And uh, yeah, he, and he, right before that, it's like. He's, he's just nasty throughout that film. He, he actually spits at Bond. I mentioned it before. It's just such a profound moment. It's one. It's probably one of the most. Um, it's the most horrible. One of the most horrible things you could do. And he's he's like blood pouring from his face. And and then you got to remember. I mean, Dario is. It's not. It's pretty much I think Dario who, um, who kills Lighter's wife and obviously has helps to have Lighter fed. Fed to the shark, you know he's he's just behind this catalogue of nastiness yep. throughout the film, and I guess like a lot of villains as well, is generally in the Bond franchise they have that this week kind of signature move or a signature device. Or he was more like he was more like a guy you would see maybe like a like been a sort of you know and and like for example a mafia film like Benicio del Toro might have played you know. Like a uh, sort of enforcer in the mob world, quite well. I guess yeah, it, was, it was almost like that. Yeah, cause, and and that was again why this was such a change up going into a film with License to Kill because he was he was working for a big drug baron. Yeah. So he's is that like I said, he was right at the time. Benicio del Toro, yeah. he had a gold tooth, which has kind of gives him a wee sort of signature thing. And you, I think it was you, Steve. You mentioned it. I love the way his like kind of signature weapons a knife. And remember, he is. He does it at least a couple of times. The way he pulls out a knife, it's yeah. like this. It's like a wee sort of dance almost. It's like it's a this, like over exaggerated ex- arm extension thing that he does. Yeah, yeah. So he's got that little thing. Although you could say he's maybe a lot different from what we had before. He's, you know, he's basically you want villains to and henchmen to make you feel edgy and uncomfortable. And even some of the the ones I don't, I'm not as keen on the franchise. Some of them, you know, have that quality. They make you feel uncomfortable and edgy. And he, you know, he's Daddy was actually quite a scary guy. I mean, you guys, you, I think, like I said, he's 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 been talked about in this podcast before. I mean, what's your guys' thoughts on on old Dario? Yeah, aye, Dario. I think I remember being taken by him when I first watched it. I thought Benicio del Toro was so sinister, and he was a kind of weird dynamic. He's in some ways, you look at him as tr- attractive young man, right? He was the, one of the youngest henchmen we've seen, if not the youngest, I think, because he was a young guy, uh, early early career. And in some ways, he's got that kind of charismatic, in, in a sense, and, and good looking and and style about him. But then there's that really dark edge that is sinister and maniacal. And yeah, like you said, the catalogue of things he has done in the film, and you can tell is, you know, you, you can make a, you can, in your mind, you know, this guy has done some serious shit to get as high up in the, the Sanchez kind of world. He's obviously done a lot uh, from a very young age. You can kind of make the backstory in your head of what he, what he's like. And it is a real, and that's why that film works for me is one of my highest favourites. Um, 
because he there is a realism to that and that's that's what's kind of scary about it and yeah fully on board i think uh, benicio del toro finds a way to it's like real version on the edge of overacting but it's not really it's it's just finding mm-hmm. a unique spin on things and being able to grab your attention and yep really really enjoyed that performance i loved that film for the villains i think the villains is one of the things we all loved i will you know wide berth of different types of villains and he was the standout for me probably eclipsed sometimes sanchez himself so yeah you guys have anything on dario want to add um i don't really i don't really have anything to add to what what was said about dario mm-hmm. um i mean i didn't have him on my own list to talk about really not not that i think he's not worth talking about but it just you know you can't talk about every single one yeah I guess, exactly. you know? of course yeah that's fine cool gordon who else have you got my next one I'm going to mention is Robert Shaw's character from Russia with Love, Red Grant. Mm. The first bullet won't kill you, not even the second, not even the third. Yep. He's a classic Bond villain. Yeah, he kind of is the first of the real henchmen, really. <clears throat> the tough henchmen, the sort of the template that's followed. And they, they all seem to be muscular with bleach blonde hair. Uh, as well, a lot of them that, that that sort of became a recurring theme. How many henchmen after him had it? Uh, Mister Stamper comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, Necros. Necros. Yep. Necros. I'm sure there's one other. I feel like there's one other. Maybe and I not. think, uh, yeah, I was trying. Uh, they're the only two that really come to mind. Mm. Maybe one or two more minor ones, but it's like in those days. I mean, Robert Shaw didn't have to be built like an absolute. Tank because he was he was just he fitted the profile of a psychotic assassin and he was the first of the silent assassins in the the Bond franchise and I think as well it's the fact that he was silent for most of the film and obviously he he disguises as, as Red as uh, Captain Nash and obviously puts on the voice and everything but then you get another side to him later on like he obviously is a bit of an ego he's a bit greedy because Bond's Bond finally kind of finds a weakness in him to get him out of the situation with the suitcase. He mentions about the gold sovereigns. And also, it's, it's the thing, the way I go on about Grant's ego is it's when Grant reveals that he's going to like take real pleasure in killing Bond and he's, he's kind of doing his own little thing where Spectre won't know how he's going to kill Bond. He's, he's deliberately going to do it in a really kind of agonising way for Bond. He says, like, that's why I said that, you know, the first bullet won't kill you, not even the second and all that. He plans to kind of take his time just to get personal satisfaction out of it so I think his ego plays a part as well and it's the thing as well which really really early on you know what a tough character is because again like so many he's great henchman he's got he's, he's got that little thing it's his, his watch Garrett and you see that right in the pre-title sequence straight away and you know him stalking the, the it must be another spectre person that's meant to be Bond and and then you get Rosa Klebb really early on in the film hooks him in the stomach and he doesn't wear knuckle dust and he doesn't even feel it. Do you know the thing I find, I find a bit odd about Red Grant, right? Um, do you remember the bit where he drugs uh, Titania? Ta- no, Tatiana. Tatiana. With uh, the... like She goes unconscious, remember that? So yeah. when they're having their meal, why didn't he just drug them both? <laughs> Like, wouldn't that be a lot easier to yeah, do? Yeah, but that's, that's the thing, Fran. If you, or that's get the, the thing poison. It. You know, like, it instead of, like, the scheme of, like, 
Right, I'll draw a card, which means me and Bond have to carry her back, and then I can fight him privately. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he could have had a lot easier life. But I was reading about Red Grant. I was reading about like how he's supposed to have like escaped from prison because he was apparently in jail for for murder. Then he escaped, and um, then he was recruited by Spectre. So he was on the run when he was recruited. So he was like a criminal in his own right. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, I do find it quite. I, I I liked Red Grant. I like I just liked the fact he was called Red Grant because he's yeah. it was, his real name is actually Donald. Donald. <laughs> yeah, Grant. it's funny because in the film I think it reveals his real name's Donald Grant. It doesn't I don't think anyone actually refers to him as Red. I think it seems to be like it's it's in his sort of like private biography amongst the the Bond fans. I, I also find it quite funny, you know, the way that Bond. Like, Bond tried to play on his sympathies to get, like, the last cigarette, and Red Grant was like, no, you know. But then, like, because Red Grant's got no, like, compassion whatsoever for anyone, do you know what I mean? But then it, when he, like, offers to pay the gold, he st- Red Grant's, like, his mm-hmm. flaws begin to show, like, where he's starting to be like, oh, I, I, I 50 gold sovereigns for this? And Bond, get, and then he wants to know if there's any more, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, it was funny because Bond probes to see if he's got, like, if he can get him on sympathy, but he can't get him on that. He's, like, getting him on greed. Do you know what I mean? So Bond's, like, cycling yeah. through the weaknesses to see. So, like, I just like the fact that Red Grant is just, like, the worst person ever. He's, like, a murderer. He's greedy. Like, he, he, you know, do you know what I mean? He's just a horrible guy, isn't he? Yeah. I think Robert Shaw's great at playing those sort of villains. He, he generally played villains, even in Jaws. He was sort of, I, guess you could, I guess you could say Quint. George was an anti-hero, but um, I Robert Shaw, it's quite a, uh, he just he had a real presence about him. He's got a tough man. And then always tough. <clears throat> yeah, that's the, that's kind of the, yeah, that was the phrase I was looking for. Were you saying that earlier, I didn't quite catch it, but like, were you guys saying that it, that he might have been related to like Necros and someone else? Like, Not related. And Mr. Stamper? Because <laughs> I, I, I've got a feeling like like he could have been their dad. Do you know what I mean? He looks just like them. But there's that whole backstory of these villains coming from some kind of failed either Nazi or Soviet experiment. So and he's got the blonde hair. Well, that's it's, it's not yeah. mentioned, but he he could in theory come from that same universe, that same experiment. The batch, yeah, like um, yeah. I so you never know. Like he, evil Q could have like been part of their lives as well in the past. I think they're all yeah, they could all be like because he's also he's he's one of these hard guys that you you beat the crap out of and he doesn't move. Uh-huh. So there's a lot of similarities yeah, to uh, the other blonde-haired um, Aryan-type hmm. uh, villains yeah. and henchmen. Yeah, although I would hate it if they actually did, as a storyline, introduce that in the next film. For some reason, this connective, oh. retroactive, you know, retconning, uh, uh, the way they did Inspector, I suppose, but they worked, somehow that worked Inspector, were they able to connect the you know, Skyfall well, to the It other would films? be absolutely hilarious if in a Bond film in the future... They tried to link they got across a to this story... <laughs> Yeah, so they just yeah, killed, killed the whole, the whole, um, unlink, if you like, between the previous Dying Our Dame before and the Craig ones, where it was maybe a reboot. Actually, it wasn't a reboot, it was the same thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would open well, up you, a terrible yeah. can of worms, wouldn't well, it? You know, what would happen though? You'd have like a little 
memory sequence where like you'd have Red Granite reading a bedtime story to like Necros and Stamper, <laughs> just children. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like to explain it with like evil Hugh like watching them f- taking notes on a clipboard. And, you know and, what I mean? and it's like the the test subjects display certain human characteristics, you know. And the, the um, bo- bond in the story is this villain, this horrible, horrible secret agent, this terrible person. Or there's a whole family. Yeah. <laughs> the father, the children, whoever the, the, the mother was, the grandfather, Evil Q, every single one of them, yeah. Well, yeah. We seem to have got sidetracked. Uh, <laughs> uh, Gordon, yeah, I'm glad you brought them up because they're essentially the first henchmen in the franchise. Uh, so they sort of set a, a template. Uh, Rosa Klebb, of course, is, I would say, also uh, up there as, as one of the iconic ones. The first, you know, it's the first one with a kind of a gimmicky kind of weapon in her shoe, the sort of poison knife thing. Uh, was it poisoned, or have I just imagined it? Was it was it just a knife? Yeah, no, it was. Well, I think it no a venom because remember uh, venom, um, yeah. Wal- Walter Gattel in that film played right. um, Kronstein. He says, but no, Blofeld said to him, Blofeld got Kronstein to kick her, and he says, "We must invent a faster working venom." Yeah. So it's obviously you know it's like. I think it as well in that, because we actually mentioned this when you were, were eating dinner, Steve. Um, I mentioned where we should bring in Rosa Clem, and also on that note, I would mention our Maboon is a really, I guess you could say she's maybe a villain or, or like maybe like henchwoman in Her Majesty's Secret Service, because she's, she does, I guess, hairstyle and stuff, she does look a little bit like Rosa Clem, but she's that, she, again, it's, she plays a, a real kind of nasty, character that's kind of serving Blofeld again, you know, very similar. And the whole thing about her Maboon is she um she doesn't actually die. You don't know what happens to her. It's like she's still out there somewhere. There's nothing she's never been brought back that's, since. Yeah, actually you're point. right. That's one of the only henchmen surely that has survived alongside Baron Samady. Uh, I guess it's the like for it's, that is that the actress that played her Maboon died shortly after that from a heart attack. Oh yeah I, I think that, I read yeah, that because they were, they were Step yeah. up, is it? They were going to bring her back, I presume, for diamonds, but oh. they, they couldn't. Oh, that's, they that's give, a shame. Yeah. I think though, it does give her, her, her character this legendary status in that she's like one of the few who... I think it's good that they had that. It's almost as though it was deliberate for that reason that she didn't come back because, you know, she's got that aura about her knowing that she's still out there. Because it's almost like... that. I liken it to like one of the Nazi war criminals that would have run away to South America to avoid the, the war tribunals and was never found again. You know, it's kind of like that. Yeah, I can see that, yeah. Okay, dokie. Uh, sorry, was, there's a more for you to go over? Uh, there's a couple more. I was just, I wouldn't take too long this, but I'm going to say, ah, ah, odd job, Goldfinger, played by Harold Sakata. Yeah. Who we couldn't not, I didn't want to mention too many of the big ones straight away, but I mean, just get him in there. I mean, he's, Again, he's like, the, oh, again, pretty much the silent henchman. He's got that little signature thing with the bowler hat. Um, you know, you feel unsettled when you see him. Um, there's, a, there is, the whole thing with, with Harold Sakata playing him as well. I mean, similar, also another great one's obviously Hinks played by Dave Batista. They did a similar thing there because, um, Harold Sakata also wasn't an actor. He was, he was a wrestler like Dave Batista and, um, obviously, um, he had to learn how to act, but you know he kind of the he did it so well that like, you would you would actually thought Hal Scatta was like a, a regular actor because I, I look at like see even like some of the subtler scenes like I mentioned last week the looks he just gives Connery's Bond this look of contempt at times like when there's like small scenes like when Oddjob um is like 
putting the golf clubs in the back of Goldfinger's Rolls Royce and Bond just rocks up smirking and, and a couple of times Oddjob just gives him this kind of angry glare which I really love that. Yeah. And he's just, you know, the fact that and it's, it's so incongruous as well. Like he's, he's maybe the caddying and gold fingers around the golf. He's wearing like a full kind of butler's outfit. <laughs> yeah. Is that's part of the, that's part of the thing with odd job is it was so out there at the time. And, you know, it just obviously how Sakata just obviously this really well built guy is, and then the fight, it just, it, it tells you kind of all you need to know about how a lot of the, it set the template for, a lot of the fights to come, Bond's coming up against an almost like superhuman, mm-hmm. and then Bond's like punching him and it doesn't do anything. Um, he throws a brick at Oddjob's chest and just bounces off. A, a, no, it's a bar of gold he chucks, and and I just again it's Harold Sakata's smirk. He yeah. just like Bond hits him at one point with a bit of wood and he just smirks at Bond and and then also um, what was I going to say? You get that bit of music because we mentioned the scores. I don't know if I brought this up, but it's a tiny just like musical cue. Even obviously there was henchmen to come had their own musical cues. It's this. It's like ding ding. It's it's like a, a triangle or something. Mm-hmm. Obviously, some that was. I mean, that was like. I think I was. I've been listening. I've been listening to the score, and I think I can picture it. Um, I can remember it. Yeah, yeah. I think when you have, well, when you see when you have henchmen like Hinks and and Spectre, who's also very like, quite high on my list. He again, it's more subtle with him, but. There's a couple of things he's his own little musical cue as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I haven't. I'll need to go back and watch that for that because I, I didn't pick up on the the Hinks one. But yeah, Odd Job is is a classic, and it would have, it certainly would on my list as you know, it's that kind of it's one of the many things that Goldfinger brought to the table that was so iconic. Uh, even just wearing a suit somehow, Odd Job. You know, stands out like it's a. It's somehow the the costume has build. Uh, you know, you you can you can't really not. You know, you know, odd job. Like it's just, and everyone knows him. I know. I suppose an element gold. <laughs> the game Goldeneye, obviously, it became a joke for us guys. Obviously, the for some reason they made him really small, which is weird because he wasn't that small. Yeah. But but yeah, uh, yeah, legendary, legendary character, and you know. Three films in, and in the last two subsequent films at that point, they'd, you know, really nailed the the henchman aspect. You know, the, the other films were always kind of probably trying to look at them and say, how do we, how do we beat that? I think that was odd job, especially was probably a, a comparison. Yeah, iconic is the word. Uh, yeah. Any more, Gordon? I'll give you one more. Live and Let Die is a brilliant film for. For villains, yeah, and there's a few I could mention. Could mention Tee who's great. Um, could mention obviously even you know Whisper. What? But I'm got. I'm. What'd you say? Yeah, exactly. I'm gonna. I'll, I'm gonna go for the heading for the hills. Uh, Baron right. Samady. Yeah. He's uh Baron Samady's great because he's so different. Like we'd mentioned before, there's that supernatural element to him. Is his his whole little musical extravaganza as they call it? It's like you get when Bond arrives at the San Benito Hotel. There's the guy is like, um, we've got a musical extravaganza. He's like the first Bond henchman to give us a musical extravaganza. He's doing this little kind of voodoo dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's so out there, unsettling, brilliant. That creepy laugh, that bellowing. Oh, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> uh, yeah, aye, fantastic character. He was on mine as well. Brilliant. Uh, yeah, yeah. I like how at the end, um, some people might say it's strange, but I think it, it was a nice change up. How, see the very end, how you, you think he's dead and he just appears 
for that to be the final shot of the film, him in the front of the locomotive is and the the music or the end credits coming in and him laughing and taking off his hat. The the costume department obviously gave him all this, you know, weird makeup. They've got I mean different costumes as well. You know, you've got the kind of that classic one that was in the Goldeneye game when he's doing the little voodoo dances. Ah, uh, he's like you said, man, he's 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 unsettling and you know, you like to have a bit of change up in Bond, but you don't you don't want it to get to get too much in the wrong direction. We used to I remember when like See, when we used to play football, me and my brother were kids. I remember, like, when I think we were just to, like, impress our, our mates when we were, like, having a kick about, like, imitating, like, the, the whole kind of, like, voodoo band, Sammy's voodoo dance in the garden. It was, it was, because that was obviously one of the first Bond films I saw, and it was, I just, there's so much about that, so much about the villains in that film. It's an iconic costume, the, the white top hat as well. Um, yeah, yep. And I think that's one of the things we they really nailed in that film. The villains were fantastic in Live and Let Die. Yeah, completely agree. Um, obviously, as, as Gone kind of pointed out, you, the makers, you don't really want to take a villain too far. I think Baron Somebody is literally on the edge of as far as you can take it, because Bond is by no means a sci-fi series. But, as we've all pointed out, there's something very kind of almost otherworldly about Baron Somebody. He doesn't yeah. seem human. The fact that Baron he can Samadhi, have a chunk of his head yeah, blown up his fight. Yeah. He's not human? That's and that's kind of the weird thing because that's not a thing for the Bond universe. It's The Bond sort of franchise is very much based in reality, ridiculousness, yeah. but at least reality. It's stuff that can happen. It's, it's, you know, he went, yes, he went into space, but there was a lot of technology and science behind it. There wasn't kind of aliens as such floating about. Mm-hmm. And Baron Samadhi's kind of as close as they get to that. And I mean, he still works. He's such a great character. You, you know, he lights up the screen. He's brilliant. I think... Uh, but he is about as far as I think you could take yeah. someone in Bond without going too far into the unrealistic dimension. Definitely. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the thing is, like, the paranormal is something that, you know, it is something that happens. People have to deal with it sometimes. I mean, the idea that the paranormal wouldn't exist in the Bond universe... I think it's more an argument of it's not unrealistic, it's just not fitting with the tone Yeah, well, yeah, of the that's, I was you know I mean? about to say that. that. That's like, yeah. for me, that's the tone of Guy Hamilton. As much as I sort of criticise a lot of where they get it wrong, I feel, uh, we have done that in the previous podcast, that playful, bizarre kind of taking things a little too far, like the style over any reality, actually works in, in the sort of, to serve that kind of weirdness of Baron Samadhi and it, it well, actually I, I helps Baron Samadhi, Samadhi to be terrifying yeah see, see when he was laughing at the end of the film I thought oh my god like you know that there's nothing you could do he's like a god he's like a god figure because Baron Samadhi is a historic figure like a a, a kind of a, a part of this pantheon of voodoo characters you know Um I mean I, I just I do kind of I actually kind of like the idea of Bond coming up against something that's otherworldly, do you know what I mean? A wee bit. It feels like a cartoon spin-off where, like, you know, you see, like, Scooby-Doo and Batman of crossover episode in cartoons, and it's, like, that kind of, like, it's not canon, it's not, like, meant to be treated with any seriousness. Obviously, this is a film, and there is an element that it's still meant to be treated the way that you would treat any other of the Bond films. It's funny that this film, that kind of character exists along in the same franchise as, you know, 
the Dario from like, yeah, no, yeah. could you imagine if, if Barry yeah. Savage and Dario met like on another thing like I don't because yeah. that's why I said last like, separate them to two characters because I would say from the ones I saw it realistic side you've got Dario maybe Red Grant to an extent Denby then exaggerated you've got Odd Job um, I guess Ban Sandy Hinks for example yeah. Well, Jaws goes into the uh, Jaws, I was well, going to mention that. Yeah, I, we'll, I thought I'd leave it yeah, to we'll let, you guys. But... Well, let's, uh, Steve, we'll come to you. Is there any what you wanted to discuss? Yeah, um, I'll kind of pick up where we just left off there and chuck in Jaws, one of the big yeah. names, yeah. who I think is brilliant. But specifically, I think Jaws in The Spy Who Loved Me. Because I yes. think, yeah. as as we've established, his second appearance in Moonraker, it was great to see him back. He's obviously the, he was the first henchman, I think, to appear in more than one film. But what they did to him in Moonraker was verging almost on embarrassing. So I'm yeah. going to stick with him in The Spy Who Loved Me. Yep. And he's just, he's so properly menacing. Um, obviously, the main feature, the, the big metal jaws that he has, jaws that he, he has, you see him ripping up stuff with his mouth. It's just, he's what you want in a Bond villain, someone who's genuinely petrifying, someone who you look at and you think, how is Bond going to take on that? Because it looks as though anything, literally anything you throw at him, just bounces straight off mm-hmm. with a big smile, big metal smile. Yeah. And that's what you want in someone who's slightly sort of not too out of this world, but slightly sort of he had a bordering on psychopathic. He had a supernatural edge in a sense. It was, yeah. that, it was never explained how he kept appearing in different places and surviving all of these horrific falls and tumbles. Yes, I there's always a sort of telekin not telekinesis, sort of teleportation yeah, type yeah. Um, thing sort of un- that went unspoken. And I mean, I mean that goes for any of the, the henchmen with super strength. Mm-hmm. There's a, there is a kind of superhero-esque quality to yeah. them. It's never quite explained. It's not used in that sense. So it doesn't stray into the kind of sci-fi superhero movie. Mm-hmm. But it is, you have to, I think, realize that it is present. Yeah. Um, which I think is to an extent why you can forgive people like Bad Insanity. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Jaws uh, is Jaws for me is one of the best henchmen in the entire franchise. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think the the moment when he is, when uh, Barbara Back's character Triple uh, X is, I think, am I right? Yeah, she opens yeah. up the the wardrobe and it's that kind of it's a horror kind of moment that sort of like stark the music yeah. kicks in and whatever and he's there and it's like a, she shrieks obviously it's terrifying and you know. It's like the the playfulness of that as well when Bond is fighting him and does does he not like does Bond hit him with a piece of wood and then Jaws bites into the wood or something like I always something like that yeah yeah I just like I that always kind think, of why does he do that yeah like just, just to, showing off yeah like, yeah that's what I love about it like the thought process was that's not gonna hurt me Luke I'm gonna eat this shit yeah yeah, yeah you, you might as well be throwing food at him <laughs> yeah aye it's it's great stuff and. Richard Keel, obviously, his size is one of the things that makes him so dominating. It wouldn't have worked if he was just a wee squat guy. Surely, it is partly is to do with his presence. But and it, you know, it sounds like it was actually really difficult to have those big the the things that they put in his mouth, the props. The, and they the, could only wear them for about ten seconds, yeah, couldn't you? Because they were really so uncomfortable. Shred your gums. So that's that was a difficult shoot for him. To, to do that so maybe you would know from his performance but yeah yeah Jaws is fantastic and it is a shame how they used him in Moonraker that's a big caveat with Jaws you have to kind of say it's really just that one film yep yeah I was just going to say I agree with what Steve said there about yeah Jaws and the spy who loved me because Moonraker they, they might they could have like used Chang as the main henchman I think 
But in, in Spy Hall, I've never, you know, Jaws has got such a formidable presence, but, you know, there's a couple of odd things, like, for example, when Bond and Anya are trying to escape in the van, you would think he would be reaching in to grab one of them to pull them out, but instead he decides to rip the van apart, which is a, a bit strange. The other thing is, like, seeing Atlantis at the end, Bond's disposed of Stromberg, and then Jaws appears, there just happens to be a magnet. I don't, you don't, I wonder why there would be a magnet in that, in that room, you know, what they would use it for. It just happens to be right above where Jaws is standing, the guy with the metal teeth. Yeah, I know, actually, you're right. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's brilliant, brilliant. Uh, yeah, I like how Jaws has that, that quality that we like in Bond henchmen of even when his boss is dead, he carries on trying to avenge him. Hmm. Yeah, yeah and, th- and then he goes to apply for more jobs afterwards as well. Like, he just <laughs> loves being a hench. You know, this is a career path for some of these guys, isn't it? It's like, the, the C- imagine what the CV would be. Joe's CV, <laughs> you know? Can he eat anything, you know? <laughs> uh, not, not fussy, but yeah. <laughs> I know, brilliant character. Yep, iconic again is the word I would use to describe him. He is up there with, with odd jobs, certainly. Um, Okie dokie, Steve, is there any others you want to talk about? Yeah, I'm going to chuck Necros into the mix because of all the sort of blonde, Aryan-looking henchmen. I think he's my favourite of them all. I love, obviously, I love the fact that he's got his own theme tune that he has his Walkman <laughs> and about. I love it. The way that he kind of sculpts around the film in different sort of disguises. So, obviously, the first time we see him, I think he's a milkman. And then he's at, uh, obviously, the theme park selling balloons. Yeah. And he's just, he's he's sort of one of these sort of crazed um, science field science experiment henchman who has a sort of degree of intelligence where he kind of uses whatever's at his disposal to attack and to kill. Um, and I think he's, I just think he's brilliant. And the 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 pretender steam tune played for the Walkman just makes it for me. I love that kind yep. of as a concept, kind of carrying sort of. It's a really interesting way of adding to the score without kind of being the score because it is his own musical cue. And if in any other film, they probably would have got the composer of the score to compose a little bit of music for whenever he was about, but instead he carried it out himself, which I think is genius. Yeah. It's funny, like, to imagine the, the sort of thought process for him, right, when he's approaching the area where he's going to do the hit or whatever, you know? So he's like, right, okay, switch on my song. Right, there we go. Oh, song's <laughs> finished. Right, keep it going. Press repeat. Right, okay. <laughs> like, it's just, I don't know, it's brilliant. I love it. Uh, it's catchy as hell, and yeah. Necros was on, was on mine as well. Uh, <laughs> he was one of my favourites. I remember loving him in The Living Daylights as a kid. I thought he was weirdly cool as fuck. <laughs> I don't know if it was just the guy who was a, a good-looking guy, but he also had his own theme song, and he was just, yeah, like you said, intelligent, well-intelligent kind of villain. A, a degree of menace as well. You knew when he was around not to let your guard down. Like <clears throat> Yeah, that psychopathic quality is precisely what you want, as I've said, in Henchman, and he has that, because he, he sort of, he doesn't really, I, I, I don't think he, he's one of the ones that doesn't really, his face doesn't really change, he doesn't kind of smirk or anything like that, he just kind of does it, kind of, almost as though he was, you know, visit the post office or something like that, completely <laughs> yeah, straight, yeah. it's just, it's another day at the office. Yeah, so, so it's a, yeah, a sort of everyday task for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, great villain. Do you know, Necros, I, I'll just, because I had him on my list, I've taken him off now, but I, I just love the fact that it, I really think you could say that Necros is the same as, it came from the same place as Zorin, right? Because he's a KGB assassin, isn't he, right? 
He is blonde haired. He's got a weird name, Necros, Zorin, Necros, right? Necros, <laughs> Necros means death in Greek, right? Yeah. So he's called Necros. Necros, I mean, that's not a normal name, oh. right? <laughs> I mean, it's not, imagine a baptism in the church, right? Necros, you know? Like, I mean, it's just not, not normal, right? But like, I just, John, John Death. Yeah, imagine, uh, uh, Death Smith. But yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I just love, I, I do like Necros. I, I think the thing is, like, I mean, and it's interesting as well because it's one of those um, strange ones where we actually have um, Timothy Dalton. Hmm. Timothy Dalton, one liner where he's like, where Kara's like, what happened? And he's like, he got the boot. The only thing I would say about Necros is that was a shitty, like, as intelligent as villain is, why the hell he wasn't holding on to the net instead of the bloody boot? Yeah, yeah I, I I think I mentioned that at the time. Yeah. I like the I like the jailer guy as a kind of mini henchman, the, the very scouse sounding jailer. Did not tell you to get up. Did not tell you to get down. I forgot about that and guy. I think maybe po- posing as a Russian. Yeah. Listen, the scousers everywhere, even in Afghanistan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I love how because there had to be someone Bond used the little key ring on. Again, that that's another example of Bond up against a. Like a stronger looking guy, but he uses his wits to get out of it because he does that with Jaws, doesn't he? Uh, at least two or three occasions. Yeah, yep, yep. That, that's my piece about Necros, anyway. Okay, fair play. Uh, Steve, that was yours, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, yep, it was. So I think the last one I'm going to bring in, or people I'm going to bring in, going right back to the start, back to Doctor No. Oh and wow! So I think are credited as the three blind mice. Oh <laughs> yeah. Who are just you? You see them. I just love the way that the way that starts. The way you see them kind of together dancing down the streets, thinking they're just three sort of blind guys, sort of three guys just trying to get by, and suddenly. They take out. Was it machine guns? But they did they try and gun someone down? Yeah, I think it's a is a hit and run or something. I mean, they are they are some fucking dedicated henchmen though. I mean, that has got to be the longest fucking planned out hit and run of all time. Like, how long did it take them to get there and have that act? (laughs) That's they try and get people to make to feel sorry for them believing that they're actually blind because actually see Strangways who they kill. He actually gives them some money, I think, and then one of them turns around and shoots them. Yeah, I mean that's 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 some proper ungratefulness there, isn't it? Yep. They're just the kind of genesis of henchmen, the the ones that are in the background paid to do the dirty work, and it yeah. all kind of goes from there. Are they the uh, first people on screen? I was wondering that. I think they are. I think they're the first ones we see, apart from uh-huh. obviously the Bond that walks across. Yeah, they the, are. They're the first actual characters. They're the first. Uh, characters full stop of the whole franchise like good or bad because you actually see them before the, the credits stop rolling oh yeah yeah there we go and they're very unique and a very good one to bring up yeah we actually have started with the very first characters in the franchise nice <laughs> one nice one Steve unless you unless you count Bond in the gun barrel but oh, that's, that's a, not yeah. really a true film <laughs> yeah. Bob Simmons is the first uh, then yeah excellent alright then Fran what about yourself Okay, if we start off with Vargas from Thunderball, who I love because of because of the the scene he's in, Gordon. Could you reenact that scene? Reenact that it. About? Oh, uh-huh. I, I, I found it really funny. So Gordon, you 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 do it well. So, but basically, so Bond has been taken to the island, hasn't he? What's yeah, that? so What's he's getting sh- he's getting shown around um, Palmeiras by by Emilio Largo and. 
he introduces bondage to henchmen and he says he says something along the lines of what you do and he goes oh but of course Valgas does not smoke does not drink does not make love what do you do Valgas and he just kind of looks away he doesn't shit again yeah he's a I, silent henchman isn't he Ah, uh-huh, but he's also like, he was getting bullied a wee bit as well by his boss. Like, yeah. I, 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 I liked that. I liked Vargas, right? See, simply for the reason that, like, because he looks weird as well. Like, he just looks strange. He's kind of like a slightly pallid-looking balding guy. But it's the also, thing is, like, well, sorry, friend, I was just going to say because you mentioned earlier, Largo introduces like him and the other henchman, like, as a double act. But the other guy seems to be completely incompetent. Yeah, <laughs> he's like a sort of kind of. Like, he just looks, he's, he's a wee bit overweight, isn't he? And just a bit kind of dark. Yeah. Doesn't look very, very bright at all. Um, he fails, he completely fails, and well, so does Vargas ultimately in trying to take out Bond. Yeah, well, Vargas, right, we don't know. Well, he was harpooned to death by Bond, I suppose, in the he end. Got, he got the point. But, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, aye, uh, Vargas, like, I just like the fact that, I mean, he's a right low-level henchman, right? I mean, he's just one of the grunts, basically, but it's just that kind of way that even the grunt henchmen are weirdos, do you know what I mean? Like, Vargas is just a weird guy. Like, even his fucking evil boss knows that Vargas is a weird guy, do you know what I mean? Like, even he can pick up on it, the megalomaniac is like, oh, Vargas, he doesn't have sex, he doesn't smoke, he doesn't go in, do you know what I mean? <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> even I'm wondering, Vargas, do you know what I mean? So that, that's good, though, because <clears throat> I think... Um, psychotic assassins or henchmen would you would think some of them would be like that like all the only world that they know is how to kill and how to hurt do you know what I mean but it's a, it's a nice humorous touch yeah definitely um, so let me see well I don't know has everybody said anything they wanted to say about Vargas yeah I mean I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, the Vargas is one of the ones that kind of went unnoticed for me it's, it's fun one. I just the only thing I think about him is they get the the harpoon that's really all I remember from him. It's... So, what you have to learn here, actually, is um, we're going to be using a word, right? I'm going to teach you a word. It's called defenestration. Do any of you know what that means? I looked this up because I was looking through a list of henchmen that said died by being defenestrated. Is that what just chucks out a window? Yeah, yeah. That's a specific type of death, right? So, um, But I think it's also like falling from a height, technically, because I think you could describe Necros's death that way. Um Potentially, but um, yeah. So you'll see that. So my next guy, who so was briefly touched upon, I like him mainly for his name. Uh, I am referring to Teehee. Mm. Okay, but Teehee was defenestrated by James Bond, right? Um, so Teehee, I mean that metal arm, right? And he, see the utter glee that Teehee takes in his life, like, yeah. like now people, like now you see those. <laughs> Those funny, like, cliched poster things that girls, like, not girls, but like, you see it in a lot of family homes and it's like, do what makes you happy and all this kind of thing. Like, you can imagine Teehee's taking that to the extreme, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, you don't want to say that to someone like Teehee, because Teehee, <laughs> it's not good stuff that makes him happy. But this guy's never stopped, never stops laughing, never, you know. He's a happy, just... go lucky guy, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think it's similar to like Oddjob, you know, I said like Oddjob. Kind of glares at Bond. Teehee sneers at Bond. He looks at Bond. He, he you know, the laughing. <laughs> bit. And see, like for example, the bit when he twists the barrel of Bond's gun. He just kind of smirks at Bond while he's doing it. He leaves Bond to the mercy of the crocodiles, and he kind of smirks at Bond while, he, you know, that that's what you like a lot. Of your classic Bond henchmen to have, you know, the ability to sneer and to to laugh at him. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. And to know they're in control. Well, that's the thing, and, you know, I don't know, in a weird way, like, I, I feel like you get the impression that he actually quite enjoys bumping into Bond, like, when he gets a hold of him, like, he's, like, oh, he's happy to see him, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I know like, that's it. It's kind of weird, it's like, it's like, uh, he's obviously a psycho, do you know what I mean? But, um, so that, that I mean, that's what I want to say. I, you'll notice I've got a few, but I'm not saying a huge amount about each, because I, I don't, you know, these are my thoughts, right? I've, yeah, got, weird yeah. re- I've got weird reasons. For, henchmen, to me, are like, it's like a circus of freaks, do you know what I mean? Like weirdos. Like, I, I, I love that. Yep. I've got weird reasons. Keep it so going. my next ones, next ones are Mishka and Grishka from Octopussy, right? The two, um, the twins, um, they throw uh, knives. Oh God! They're yeah, part of the circus, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the reason I picked them is like I remember years ago when I was watching Octopussy with my uncle, right? And he said he was he, he said to me, "Those guys are always kind of wearing the same strange outfit all the time, like and and don't they have kind of odd hairstyles?" And I remember like that stuck in my mind, like this Mishka and Grishka, the two these brothers, right? Who are just kind of odd folk. Do you know what I mean? You, you get this impression from them that they're just a bit peculiar. Because they wear these red shirts and, and, and waistcoats all, all the time, right? They've got this weird kind of like permed hairstyle and their whole life is about throwing knives. You don't know much else about them, really. But there's just something about them that you can... There's something odd about them. Do you know what I mean? You just get this sense from them that they're... And then, and then, God, you see, when I think when... I can't remember which one of them it is. One of them gets killed by Bond and the other one obviously is... You know, you kill a, one of a pair of twins, the other one's going to go insane... So you get to see a little bit of the twin revenge kind of act. But yeah, like, I, I, I've i got a fascination with some of these lower level henchmen that you don't know so much about. They're kind of just employees. They're, part of the, they're not part of the planning of the scheme. Like Mishka and Grishka will get a phone call and they'll say, look out for Bond or whatever. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> how like, much thought you've put into this? The sort of, yeah. the machinations of how they got employment in the yeah, organisation. Yeah. I mean, I've really, I've really thought about this. Do you know what I mean? I've I really for some of these folk because like, I watched the films when I was younger and I didn't I don't think anyone listening now who's under a certain age maybe under like what 18 under 20 might under, might know what it's like to be in a world where you didn't have access to entertainment all the time and you had limited things limited channels limited movies that you could watch so you got really into imagining sometimes what like say you know I had a few Star Trek films a few Bond films a few games whatever and I would really think about the characters because you would you, you would you wouldn't get distracted by other things all the time so there is an element of that but I'm going to I'm going to zoom into the more um kind of like now when you get like A list, B list and C list celebrities and all that, like Mishka and Grishka would be like D list and all that and Vargas would be like Z list. You know I mean? Harsh got... L list, come on. Give him some okay, credit. Well, maybe V list, yeah. V for Vargas, but okay. yeah, so the next one would be an an A lister henchman like Mayday, because Mayday was really right up there with Zorin. Our sponsor you know I mean? is happy you've nominated Mayday here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, shout out to uh Zorin the Industries. Company. Uh, I mean, yeah, the company, they, they, they really are um, a progressive company in the fact that they have a senior black woman, and you know, who's very, you know, she's got the ear of the boss. Do you know what I mean? Um, so despite being evil, um, they're also progressive as well, right? So it's good to know that the evil companies also, you know, they're socially progressive, despite the fact that they're, they want to destroy everything, right? Yeah. But anyway. It's a small, so, small issue. Yeah, yeah, but nobody, nobody's perfect, yeah. you know what I mean? But um, I, I just think Mayday is as close, I, I think what Steve McCall was describing um, 
like Baron Samadhi, he said he was like as close to being whatever before being unbelievable. But I think I think Baron Samadhi kind of surpassed that. I think Jaws did in the the first appearance, but I think Mayday is kind of like mm-hmm. where I would place a, a henchman who, on, the, on, on the line, uh huh, who is believable. But like you can tell, she's like a super trained, like you know, incredibly strong. She's like not as psychotic as Xenia. Right, but she's like, and her and Xenia would have been best pals. Like, you know, there's that element oh, of like, I want to like, see that mate. sitcom. <laughs> yeah, like, imagine them having like, like the mailman doesn't deliver something on time or something, and he ends up in a room with Xenia and Mady. Do you know what I mean? Like, but you know that that scene of her, like, because the thing is, we talked about her as a Bond girl, didn't we? A bit, but she's also a, a henchman as well. But see, when she's riding out on that explosive, I mean, that is like an iconic scene. You know. Of just utter, um, what's the word? Well, it's contempt towards Zorin, but it's also sticking the finger up at him. It's just like, you know, I, 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 I hate you so much, and I, and I, you've betrayed me so badly that it would get the most pleasure I can get in the world is to explode while fucking you over. Do you know what I mean? I mean that, that that's like, you can't get any more. Like, that's what would satisfy her in that moment, do you know what I mean? Like, the hatred that she must have felt towards Zorin was so extreme, but it was also like, it was almost like, I'm trying to think of the word for it, it was, it was like, standing up to, for something. Like, now that way, when like, like, say a film like Braveheart, obviously it's not like, historically accurate, historically accurate, but the idea of like, rebelling against a, a superior force and like, sacrificing your life for a cause kind of thing, it's like, maybe it was like, you, you get that sense from what she did that she's she's going out for a for a principle. Yeah, yeah. yeah as well, yeah. you can the way she like swapped sides. I mean, that can be done well or can be done not so well. I think they did it well there, uh-huh. and the, the, it was like at the end, Zorin's ego was running away with him. He was he was gunning down his own men. He just left Mady to die. But then you look on the other hand. Although there's a lot of great things about Moonraker, the the way that Jaws. Turned could have been handled better, I think. You know, that's almost the opposite to that. Yeah, well, the, the, that's the thing with um, with Mady is that you know she, I don't think she really thought that what was going on was wrong. I think it was more she, she was betrayed, so she was like a yeah. strange bedfellow in a sense because she became allies with Bond, but for her own reasons, you know, that she she wanted revenge on Zorin. That was it. Other than that, she would have just let the scheme go ahead. Yeah. She was true to her character right to the end. Yeah, she's not that. necessarily a good character still, probably. Yeah, she's not. She's not. She, she did it because it was convenient to her to fuck over Zorin because he yeah. betrayed her. But um, so I'm going to segue in Xenia now. Okay. We kind of talked about her. so Xenia. Like we we talked about her a wee bit like before, a few times probably. But I think she is. She's one of those ones that just. She's she is kind of iconic in her own way to me. I mean, she's iconic. She's deranged. Like I like the, I like the idea of I like the idea of like a fetish or like a sexual proclivity. There's something about that, like where I don't know how to describe, it, but there's something almost kind of deliciously evil about that. The fact that she gets sexual pleasure from from the evil acts that she commits. Yeah. Do you know what I mean, like there's. I mean, the fact that we talked about that earlier on, like when Urimov, like in horror and the the uh, the seven something, uh-huh, yeah, the complex, and they're gunning down the the folk all around them, and Xenia is like practically fucking coming on the spot. Do you know what I mean? And Urimov is looking over at her like, oh, you know, what's going on with her? Like yeah. she's enjoying this a little bit too much. Um, 
It makes you I wonder like how that. often they'd done missions together. That that's the first he'd noticed it. Like it must be the first time he's been set. I don't know how Yanis's organization worked. Obviously, maybe it's the first time they've sent one of you know someone. Well, I think with... I think Urumov would have been a more yeah, recent member. Yeah, yeah. Because Urumov isn't handling it well. Like, Urumov like, later on, remember when he's purely like, unshaven, collar on, <laughs> yeah. buttoned, and all that stressed. He, he said, "I haven't Aye. eaten anything," you know. Yeah. Like, Aye, he's hip flask. Uh, like he's drinking too much, couldn't eat. Like just stressed out. Whereas like Zidia is the opposite. Zidia is loving every fucking second of it. Like Zidia. Zidia is the kind of person who would, like, if she knew she was about to die, would be happy. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's like Zoran. Zoran laughed when he was, you know, losing grip yeah. on the on the, the bridge. Uh, yeah. Zinia, like, she loves the idea of just chaos around her. I think, like, the idea of yeah, a nuclear warhead's about to hit us. Yeah, bring it on! Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> There's something kind of satisfying as well about seeing when you see Zinia sort sort of side by side with Trevelyan a number of occasions like on on his train it's just like the embodiment of evil this evil looking train this man and a woman both dressed in all black right they're just and you, I don't know you think to yourself like would would Xenia just be like sort of the perfect partner for Trevelyan but it's almost as if maybe because she is so dangerous like um, or because he's so bad like they just couldn't, they couldn't even get involved in that sort of way but, but then of course Trevelyan kind of hits on Natalia and you think would it it's like is he too kind of scared would he be too scared to do it with Xenia because like she's so dangerous and so evil yeah <laughs> but it's, it's yeah. funny like he just uh, seeing that seeing um, maybe that gave an extra sort of like presence to Sean being in Famke Janssen there just seeing the two of them side beside but they were they were kind of there was a disconnect between the two of them they weren't really involved in the same kind of wavelength early in the film but later in the film they're like you know it's, it's kind of there's something kind of formidable seeing the two of them Side by side, and yeah, I you know, agree. Going up in the helicopter. Mm-hmm. So, can I can I go on to my last two who are connected? Uh huh. Okay, uh, this is. If you only... say Bambi and Thumper, you're getting kicked out of this podcast. <laughs> I'm no, I'm glad. I'm glad I, I'm not actually. But <laughs> basically, like this, these are my two favourite henchmen, right? And they are the thing that for me makes Tomorrow Never Dies worth watching, right? And that is. Richard Stamper and Dr. Kaufman, right? I knew, I knew you now, were going to mention Dr. I, Kaufman. That's how I bring loved, him. like, I adored the scene with Dr. Kaufman, right? I thought that was one of the best Bond scenes ever. I, I, um, I was laughing my head off through that, right? I couldn't, I didn't remember it, but like, I, I love the actor. Um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Let me just find it. Um, so Vincent Schiavelli. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he's, he's a unique looking guy. But, like, see, right, so I do find it quite funny, right? It's got those so, sad eyes with the huge bags under the eyes, isn't it? Yeah, but he, yeah, he had, um, I think Vincent Chiavelli had some sort of syndrome that, you oh know, affected his appearance. Oh, Jesus, but no, no, really. that's, <laughs> what made, that's what made him hireable. But, but that's, that's the thing, like, see, see this relationship between Kaufman and Stamper, right? I don't know what made them decide to do this, and I don't know why I find it amusing, right? But it's the idea of, this big giant, like blonde-haired, again kind of Zorin-y, necrosy type guy, right? Who is like just built like a tank, right? 
and he looks up to Dr. Kaufman. He looks up to this guy. Like, that's his mentor, right? But, like, and doc, the scene with Dr. Kaufman's co- almost comedy, right? Yeah. But then suddenly his death becomes really serious because Stamper has been devastated by this. Do you know what I mean? Like, I do, I find it funny that we get to see, like, a little bit of the interpersonal relationship, like, between the henchmen. Like, the fact that there's this kind of, a mentor, like a Stamper's mentor. Do you know what I mean? Like a professional doing a job. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's 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 a brilliant scene. I mean, it's undeniably uh, like. But then Stamper himself, right? I think it gives Stamper a little bit of depth, like the fact that he's got this going on and that he then wants revenge on Bond, right? So you know, it, it kind of explains it because Stamper again is a henchman who goes beyond his contractual duties, do you know what I mean? But like, you know, imagine if, like, um, you were working in Tesco or something and then Tesco went bust and you still, like, dressed up in your uniform and went out and tried to be a Tesco guy, do you know what I mean? Like, to carry on the name. You know, like, these these guys are, like... Or went you know, out, out your way to try and kill the person that took Tesco down or something. Yeah, uh-huh. Bought the company. But, but I think that's why, like, Dr. Kaufman being his mentor saves it, right? Because... Even after Carver's gone and this scheme is gone, Bond is still the guy that killed Kaufman, so it kind of allows it. But I do find that it tickles me, the idea. Imagine a scene of, like, Kaufman teaching a young stamper, like, things, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, mentoring him. Like, what? He's obviously taught him ways to torture people and all that, but a mentor is a mentor. Like, that's a very broad thing. Like, how did, how did Kaufman come to know stamper? Do you know what I mean? Was it Kaufman that was, like... Um, employed by Carver, and then Stamper came along for the ride. Do you know what I mean? Like, what what happened? Do they live together? Like, do you know what I mean? Does like Stamper bring Kaufman like a cup of tea and all that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Just not. What is this dynamic there? Um, I love it. Like, it really it ticks all the boxes for me. It ticks the weird box. It ticks the funny box. It ticks the giving them a bit of depth box. Do you know what I mean? It's all the it ticks the the henchman universe box for me. Like there's a there's a, a, a ecosystem there that we're getting a glimpse into of the fact that the henchmen are human beings. Like that Stamper has human emotions and cared about somebody. I mean that's effectively what it's saying. Stamper cared about this guy and was hurt when oh, he yeah. died. Mm-hmm. I because remember when Bond's fighting Stamper at the end, there's a bit he like throws Bond up against the wall. He's like fuck Kaufman, and then he does it again. He yeah. says like fuck Karma. <laughs> but that's the thing. See when you were, see when you see him, saying, <laughs> see when you see him saying for Kaufman, and then you go back and you look at the Kaufman scene. It makes it even more absurd <laughs> because the way Kaufman is presented is not in any way dramatic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not in any way a dramatic thing. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. The idea you could even think that well, not sympathy for this villain, but. I'd forgotten about the line when he's talking about he taught me everything, you know, he's taught him all his torture techniques and stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's a brilliant dynamic. I love that. <laughs> Stampa, it. start shouting in my ear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I got you, that, you that, again, <laughs> that again is why that scene at the end is slightly ludicrous. Do you know what I mean? Like that kind of like, you know, could you imagine like if Kaufman came back Obi Wan Kenobi style for Stamper, like to guide him, help him? Do you know what I mean? God. Just like, as a force ghost, like do you know what I mean? Like that idea of a mentor, like mentor and student is 
Obi-Wan Kenobi Luke Skywalker. Do you know what I mean? Like, could you imagine if Obi-Wan was a comedy character? <laughs> like, do you know where I'm coming from? It does, it's yeah, weird. yeah, it doesn't quite weird. work, but yeah, I get that. That's but, fair enough. But it, but it does. It's per- it, it shouldn't work, but it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to have seen more of Dr. Kaufman, right? <laughs> I noticed there's uh, no love I mean, for... And, 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 oh, and I do have to... Sorry, just before I finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go. I, have to say, I actually felt, despite the fact he was tor- a torturing like maniac like kind of guy I actually felt a wee bit sorry for Dr. Kaufman like do you know what I mean like I felt uh, oddly bad for him well I don't know the the corpse of Paris Carver lying there on, on the, the bed kind of didn't make me feel so bad for this killer like, I, I almost felt like Kaufman was like do you know when someone has a mental illness and you almost they're not quite responsible for what they do like, I almost felt like Kaufman was in that category because he seemed like quite an affable sort of jovial character to a certain extent with like but he had irritability normal human things and he seemed to like separate things into professional and personal but like you'd have to have some kind of mental problem to be able to do that do you know what I mean like you'd have to have something going on in your brain and like Kaufman what Kaufman needed was for Bond to hand him into the authorities and for him to go somewhere and be put away and like given therapy and like do you know what I mean a stamper as well yeah well, if he you almost want to... apologizes to Bond because <laughs> he uh-huh. says like he needs Bond's help to get into the car and he goes like um, <laughs> I don't know what to say it's like I think that's and maybe that's part of the reason we kind of do I agree you sort of feel sorry for him in a way yeah. and it, it, that's the thing, he's like, got manners he's courteous even though he's, gonna, I... he's a killer but that's the thing like I don't feel sorry for Carver for instance so there's, there's villains that are sane they're sane evil do you know what I mean and, and, and they know what they're doing and then there's other ones like Stamper can't have had a normal but upbringing. Kaufman clearly is unhinged. Uh, you can say that across all the films. There's the, there's the villains that needed to be rehabilitated, and then there's the villains that are just evil. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, see where wow. we're coming from? Interesting perspective. Not sure I completely agree, but interesting is all the same. Uh, okay, no, You do agree with me, actually, because you're not for the death penalty. Yeah, no, I'm not saying he should have died. I just, I don't really know that I'm just talking about I, I like in, I the, don't really in the real feel, world. I didn't. I, mean, I didn't. Uh, yeah. Okay. In the real world, sure. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Maybe Bond should. Maybe Bond wasn't the wrong then. Yeah. He shouldn't have killed him. Uh, but obviously, I wouldn't say I felt sorry for him either. Is probably where I'm. I'm standing. I'm saying. Uh, okay. Okay. Was that your final ones? Yep. Yep. I had to. I. I. I did have a. Obviously, it's a bit of an extensive list, isn't it? But like, I love the henchman. It's one of my favourite bits of Bond. Like, yeah. I really. I get right into the henchman. Like I, I really like it. I'd love to see like side projects where like we get a view of the henchman's world. Do you know what I mean? Like follow a henchman through his career or something like that. Or like, do you know what I mean? I love all that. Or like the henchman friend group. Like they've they've met and work. Like we all hang out. They go for a beer after yeah. after like things. Do you know what I mean? Like they moan about the evil boss. Like the way he treats them. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> they <laughs> Stuff meet in the like henchman that. forum. Yeah. <laughs> Just stuff like that. Like, I love it. I, I really like it. That's why I like with Vargas, like, you, you'll probably notice with some of these henchmen that I've picked out, you're getting a glimpse into that other, that, that world that we, that yeah. amuses us so much. Like, the fact that, that, um, uh, God, who is it? Um, uh, who is it that Vargas's boss is again? Largo. Largo. The fact that Largo has even thought about it. The fact that Largo has thought about Vargas's life and like what Vargas does or doesn't do. Yeah. Do you know what I, mean? I just love it. Yeah. And I was going to say, like, I suppose Lar- Largo kind of typifies a lot of the, the actual villains and the, you know, by 
what he does he kind of ticks so many boxes about what they're all about and it's the same as that you know we always talk about the henchmen how they they can't just kill Bond but they have to kill him in such an elaborate way I think the likes of if you look at Moonraker for example Chang is like I mean I'll tell you how you, you know he is a guy who works for Drax the fact that he can't just shoot Bond it's like to kill Bond it has to be the most elaborate way so he like let you know wait let Bond kind of try out the um centrifuge machine and then just let and then let him run in that for a while and then turn the power up or rather than shooting him just dress up in full Aikido outfit just confront him outside the glass factory and just like having a big punch up in the glass factory yeah I know I did like that scene Okay, okay. There's not many more that I have got on my list. They've pretty much all been mentioned. Um, specifically, Necros Jaws, uh, in Odd Job, I would have probably said, um, and in Xenia, of course. I was, because I'd spoken about her in the, the Bond Girl category, I wasn't going to go at length on her, and Franz covered mostly what I would have added. Uh, the other, uh, I was hesitant to, to nominate them, but I think I do, I did like them, even though I don't like the film. Be uh, Mr. Kid and uh, Mr. Wind from Diamonds mm-hmm. Are Forever. Um, who, now, there was a the, who was the actor that played one of them that, who's got the, the son? What's his name again? Bruce Glover. Bruce Glover. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, Crispin Crisp- Glover's yeah. dad. Yeah, he, he was the creepier of the two, I think. Uh, uh yeah. yeah, they were both, d- d- you know, quite creepy. I'd say in their own way, they just had a a weird way of talking to each other and referring to each other. Um sort of that give them a sort of off-kilter vibe but it worked in a sense for the tone of that film their music cue as well that John Barry kind of gave them I always liked there's this weird kind of mystery surrounding them weird uh, sort of mm-hmm. yeah sort of menace to their characters it's a shame the film's not great I have many they're almost the one of the only things I kind of like about it obviously you have to mention that there's you know the fact that they're Clearly, they're they're of sort of like subtly they're homosexual, but you get the feeling that'd be something that we seen as progressive, I suppose, in some in a lot of things. But you know, it's not it, done for that reason in this film. Well, I, I can't. We, ha- we, we have had that discussion. Yeah, we yeah. have we've had that discussion, but we know I won't go over it too much. I just feel that. Aye, but the thing is, like, so how most of the henchmen have weird things about them. I feel like that was the weird thing. Well, like that's that, that's the problem, isn't it? That is yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. That, that's yeah, that, the weird. That, that's, that's the weird thing. Yeah. Like that shouldn't be the weird uh-huh. thing. Well, yeah, but it was at the time. Obviously, in society, it would be classed as a bit strange, wouldn't it? It would be like, whereas nowadays it's not. But like, yeah, aye, that's that's the only thing that I don't like about the portrayal of them because it because we all know that there was not an ounce of progressiveness in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like. It, um, we got to make them a bit weird. We'll make them gay. Yeah, <laughs> I mean? like that's uh, that's like it loses points for that kind of. But you know, like, at the same time, today, they were still interesting. What's that? Yeah, if, if it was done today, you'd know they'd chosen them. It would be like um, it may be progressive in the sense that you know it's acknowledging the idea that all gay people on earth aren't all good. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like some might be evil. Um, that, that who you have sex with has no bearing on your moral like compass, like whatever. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think it's to an extent similar to what I was saying in the last one about the Bond girls, but they've obviously put them in, but they haven't pushed them far enough. It's kind of to the extent that it doesn't quite work. They couldn't. They couldn't bring it upon themselves to have an outwardly 
obviously gay couple as a couple of villains, which would be, a, as you pointed out, a legitimate thing. But the fact that they've kind of thrown them in there and done it half-heartedly, because, I mean, I've, I've, got, I've actually got Winston Kidd on my worst henchman list. Ah, there we go. Excellent. Which... Um, I, I thought they were, I thought, I mean, the film was bad, but I thought they were absolutely terrible. I really, I mean, they, yes, they are creepy, but for me, it just, it didn't work. Mm. It was the way, just every time their, their presence on screen was kind of unnerving for all the wrong reasons. And there was just, I just, I, I did not like their portrayal at all. Fair play. And I think, I think one of the reasons is the way that they've kind of done that whole sort of, are they, aren't they gay shtick, a bit sort of, half-heartedly to the extent that what it ends up looking like is that their weird sort of odds wrong quirk is that they're gay yeah and i mean that that doesn't work now it it may not have worked back then because i think there were obviously it was maybe a sort of weird attempt to be progressive but a kind of being progressive through gritted teeth i I don't think it was i think it was just as simple as we need a weird trait for them yeah 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 i just make a sorry gordon yeah on you go absolutely yeah, sorry. Um, I I quite liked winning kids probably up to their death. Though I would say I think I think their um the way their death's done isn't particularly great. First of all, you've got the most one of the most um silly examples of henchmen trying to kill Bond in the most elaborate way. It's like rather than just shooting them, um, it's like he gets they get Mister Went to like hold Bond back. Like I don't know if it's with like a sort of Garrett type thing, while Mister Kid lights up a couple of kebabs and. Like brings him towards Bond. I don't know exactly how he was going to kill Bond with him, but and then it's just so fair enough. Like Bond, I like Bond uses his wits to like set Mister Kid on fire, and then and then he just like leaps himself over the side of the ship. But see, Mister Wint, remember Bond attaches the bomb like to his groin. He's like ooh, and then he just tosses him over the side. It's the it's the most it's the most like exaggerated diver, but like. I mean, obviously, you know, you know, obviously, stuntmen can't be like, you know, almost. There's an element of you can't put yourself in absolute complete danger. You know, you've got to thank stuntmen for what they did. But you know, like, there's that kind of. He just like throws himself into the sea, but it's just it's not the best death. And I think that does a lot. Right? Yeah, there's a few aspects about them that aren't great, but I mean, generally they're pretty solid. Attention, I, I, I would say. It's an interesting point, though. Like. Yeah, I I can kind of see what what Steve's saying though that it's the intention behind why they're there is probably the main issue, in a sense for me. Um, yeah. I think, could you maybe though put that some of that on Fleming's door though? Because um, well, the uh, two characters were it. No, no. All I'm saying, right? All I'm saying is because I know sometimes we'll say oh, it's lazy screenwriting and stuff, but I think I'm pretty sh- whether it's right or wrong. I, I'm pretty sure in the novel, like there were there were homosexual villains, so. I guess it's down to it's Fleming's, you know. Oh, right, okay. I didn't know they were characters, and uh, I didn't realize they'd come from Fleming. That might actually kind of uh, explain a lot. Well, like, it gives a, a pass to the filmmakers, I suppose. You could probably take Tom Mankiewicz, Guy Guy Hamilton, sort of let you know less blame for that on them if they're following what the book was, but. What was Fleming's intention with them? Who knows? Well, I think it's probably the same. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I may want to double check actually because I've not read the whole novel, but I'll ask Andy, my brother, because he's read it all. He might be able to give us the answer. Right. But they were definitely in the novel. I'm, I'm pretty sure that you know that that whole um, concept of them, the characters, was in the novel. Well, by, yeah. the, by the way, I just, I just have to interject here to say, um, just 
as an aside, I'm getting fucking starving, by the way. Right, okay, <laughs> cool. We'll, fi- we'll finish um, up soon. We'll finish I'm up. I'm just, like, that way when you start to, like, your, my stomach's like, must eat soon. Must. I know that well. I Sorry, I thought you had been. I yeah, so did that. Well, I had to go to the shop. Uh, so I used up the time to do that. A very quick mention then for Boris Grishenko, just uh, you know, not the a whole henchman. nice section. Yeah, yep, yep. The, just make yeah. A section <laughs> yeah, I know. Yep, yep. I'm becoming that guy. Um, but yeah, just want to mention Boris Grishenko. He has his own catchphrase. You know, does many villains have their own catchphrase? I'm invincible. Surely he only says it once in the film. Oh, he says it a couple of times. Uh, I like his line. Uh, he's ever so Scottish line. It's when the hunted. Becomes the hunter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, you know, there's a lot of character in there, and you only get a few scenes with him. But he really has that kind of, you know, character in in those dialogue exchanges with Natalia, and yeah, he, he's entirely believable as well, uh, which I love about him. Uh, so yeah, Boris Grishenko is uh, the last of the ones we're talking about here in our favorites list. Let's move on to the ones that we definitely uh, we've already kind of discussed. Went and kid then I suppose that I don't know if there's much more you want to add on that, Steve. Um, they're essentially, yeah, they, I could yeah, I completely like, concede on that. Actually, you're right. They're maybe not the greatest. And I think what a lot of it came. From what I remember, a lot of my dislike came down to their delivery, mm. the way that they delivered their lines, the way they spoke. I don't know if it was the script itself that was bad, or whether it was just the way they delivered it. But it was almost kind of slimy. It was the way they and just, it's just quite yeah refer to each other, Mister Kid, Mister Wait, like saying each other's names in every sentence. Like imagine yeah. we did that, Steve McCall. They could have done Mr. without, I suppose, like the so the overuse of Mister Wins aftershave. You know, maybe the likes of that. It's like when these things just take that out. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. You know, it didn't need to be there. Yep. Uh, okay. Anyway, let's um, start with Steve. Any others you wanted to go over that you felt were Poor. Yeah, I think we have to mention how terrible Bambi and Thumper were. Mm-hmm. Again, sticking with diamonds are forever. It was just, it was just, it annoys me how unnecessary that scene is. They're literally there to add an extra couple. It's like they've gone right. We haven't quite hit our women in skimpy outfits quota. We need another couple, right? Quickly chuck those two in. So Bond turns up and has a kind of very sort of lackluster slow motion gymnastics fight. It's not even kind of. <laughs> Yeah. Cool. It's like they're they're doing cart. You know, like you did in like primary six when you were in a uh, PE. Can I can I just ask Steve? When was the last time this is Steve McCall? Right? If at all of us, when was the last time we talked about Bambi and Thumper and what Bond did? Probably, Probably the last ever. episode. So, but I remember. I, I can remember. No, I know what it was. It was an not in the Sean Connery tribute. I brought them up. Because yeah. I was getting mixed up and thinking, when was it a last mention? Yeah, was that it? Maybe. Who knows? I have no idea. <laughs> right, okay. Because I was thinking, I thought I'd gone insane and we'd done henchmen already or something. I was like, how is this possible? Sorry, Steve McCall, I just had to ask. <laughs> no, so it's like kind of weird deja vu type of stuff. I've spoken about this before. I think, yeah, they've, they've cropped up. They crop up every so often for some reason. But I just, they are, I don't like the unnecessary nature of them. The entire film could have done completely without them. They added nothing. They took away nothing. They died very easily from one They were kind of, they just drowned in the deep end of their own swimming pool. That was really lazy writing there. It's the whole thing smacks of laziness. And I, I just don't like this idea that characters are thrown in there for an extra few pairs of tits for the men. It's just frustrating. So yeah. I, I didn't like them at all. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think after all that, because the fight actually wasn't that bad. I, I kind of like the idea of Bond getting his ass kicked and, and the, just in the way that they're obviously professional gymnasts, but it's the way like Connery so easily disposes of them. It's like, after all that, they're kind of in control when they land in the water. Then all he has to do is like with his two hands push them down. It's, yeah. uh, it's just that's really lazy, I think. The whole section. I think it's also the fact that he basically just killed, I mean, effectively because of how shit they were. I mean, he basically just killed a couple of gymnastic fans. Uh, well, he didn't kill them, but he, <laughs> I, I, well, did, he, I, did, yeah, I think he, I don't think he killed them, did he? he? Didn't sort of confirm that they died. I just assumed they were maybe. Well, he brutalised them at the very least. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it certainly wasn't. But nice. they were just doing some exercising. Do you know what I mean? It was so lazy from that point of view as well because he, it's like he held them, he held them underwater. And then you see them sort of like actually recovering as it like Bond and Fields Lighter like kind of saunter away from the scene. It's like, you know, if it's that, if it's not bad enough that they're just like getting their breath back, then how did they actually kind of fall under like that in the first place? It's just, it's just that bit is just so lazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, not the best. Diamonds Are Forever uh, has a lot to answer for. <laughs> uh, let's, let's, you know, it's quite obvious. But um, yeah, any others, Steve, or are you done for your... That's all my worst. Yeah, yep. Fran, any? Um, I don't really... Uh, to be honest, because I love the henchmen so much, like, I haven't really... I mean, obviously, Bambi and Thumper and... I mean, I didn't really hate... Um, was it Mr. Kid and Mr. Mr. Wind? Wind. 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 I mean, I didn't. I only was slightly uncomfortable with the reasoning behind making them gay. I mean, I was that. You know, I I actually found them to be quite. I actually found them to be fairly entertaining. Like if you if you take that bit out of it and you watch it and you just imagine that it's been made in a different time or whatever, then I found them to be quite. I like I like Crispin Glover's dad. Like you know, I like see. I, See, it's interesting to see him, you know, in a role like that and being creepy and weird. He's Crispin Glover's weird as well. Do you know what I mean? But really, apart from that, I don't think there's any. Okay. I, I hate. I mean, I guess there's a lot that I'm not that interested in, but really, I'm kind of. I, I like. I, I love the henchmen. Most of them. Do you know what okay. I mean? Like, I, I, I'm, I'm interested in, to a greater or lesser degree, most of the henchmen that are appeared in Bond. All right. Cool. Gordon. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have a real problem with any of them. I mean, they're mostly pretty damn good. I think if I mentioned a couple of slightly weaker ones. Hans Blofeld sort of like he's almost a right hand man for Blofeld, and you only live twice. He's just not developed at all, and just doesn't really do much apart from a quick fight with Bond. But yeah. he has an iconic death, of course, getting tossed into the piranhas with the the famous Bon Appetit line for the first time. Um, I think Mr. Bullion out of World's Not Enough didn't, I, he wasn't really fleshed out, you know, so he's maybe, he's just, maybe not like he's bad, he's just not the most memorable, but I can't, one which I think was just a kind of symptom of the sort of film he was in was Mr. Kill out of Dying Another Day. That's if he's memorable enough to actually like, <laughs> could actually qualify him as a proper Bond henchman. Yeah, that's the problem, isn't it, for me? And I agree with you, Hans is probably what it was my list for just most boring, most underdeveloped is the best way to put it. And uh, I think that that is how I would have on my list. Like Gabor and Bullion are both in the world of yeah. and they're both, again, underdeveloped. Like they're just there. And yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's the same. Mister Kill is as uh, something else. That's that's bad. That is lazy writing, like multiplied, isn't it? <laughs> we it's come... a terrible. It's a terrible name to it's... give a character in the twentieth Bond like film. It's just 
Mr. Embarrassing. Mr. Bond enemy. <laughs> I know. It's, you, you know, it's, that's where it, that felt like real cartoon superhero territory there. And, the, you know, I, I can't, he's so, there's, it's hard to even remember because it was such a turn off to the whole, all the scenes that he was in to actually remember what, I think it's some kind of signature thing with like knives in his hand or something like that. I think he controls the laser on the table that Jinx is in, but, See if we look at, for example, like we men, you guys mentioned, like the three blind mice, Mishka and Grishka. They're they're breaking out there, and you know a couple of guys went in the circus. You know they they're but they are still within the like the Bond. They feel like something that belongs in Bond, but the likes of Mister Kill doesn't feel like he belongs in the 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 true spy world. No, no, he doesn't really. I mean, he's more of a. He, he seems like he should be in a different franchise. Feels like he was in Street Fighter or something. Ah, exactly. Yeah. Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like or, no or, or even things like Mission Impossible or Triple X with Vin Diesel. Mm. Like that kind of feel. Like, yeah. 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 But then again, the, Bros- the Brosnan like era started to get that way. Well, it's a shame. You, you track it. The, there's a element of it in Tomorrow Never Dies. Just subtle dialogue that is a little bit lazy. The sort of punt, like, you know, pumping lines and all that. The sort of dialogue started to get lazy. But. I, Stamper and things like that are a wee bit more comical, uh, or Mr. Co- Dr. Kaufman was certainly, but not that bad. I think Tomorrow Never Dies is, I'll, I still like that film. I think I, would, I gave it four stars. I think it just gets that four for its action scenes and Waylon and all that kind of stuff. Carver's all right, but then it's The World is Not Enough is where the cliffs, you know, it starts to, they start to really fall down and it's all of the the writing, it takes a bit of a, a, a dive with Christmas Jones. All that. We've covered it in loads of podcasts, but. And then it just, you know, they took more ecstasy and, and then for die, for die Another Day and like, just went on a complete trip. Uh, ah, it's a shame Brosnan was not served well, unfortunately. But, Indeed. yep. Uh, okay, I, th- I don't think I've got much to add for the uh, weaker henchmen, if I'm honest. We've kind of covered the ones. It's, for me, it's the ones that are not memorable. They have no personality. It's, it's like Hans. Hans would have been the one that I would have named first. Just yeah, what's your character? What do you do? You've yeah. come to expect by that point. You the four films prior to that, these quirky, either clothing items that kill people or something, you know, sort of superhuman strength, all these kind of things, and then you're just a a tall guy that stands about looking a bit sinister. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I mean, I, I felt like the likes of Hanslow had quite an iconic death. And I think equally or even more so iconic when we mentioned a couple of the themes. These could easily fall into the, the, the sort of female um, villain characters rather than Bond girls. Or even here, I think the likes of... Um, I, I enjoyed um, seeing um, Karen Doerr's character. You only have twice. What's her name? Uh, she, she's an actual Spectre agent um, called Helga Brandt. And like, remember her death? Um, and the music really added to this. It's like... Um, her and Mr. Osato are getting lectured by Blofeld and she walks away and Blofeld just puts his foot in a little pedal. It's like, I mean, you think about like, the whole Austin Powers world and all that, and this, this, this kind of is, it's things like this, how all this came about in the first place. Mm-hmm. It was, um, you know, like Blofeld, she get eaten by the piranhas. I mean, I don't even think piranhas could eat someone in that, you know, that <laughs> short amount of time. But anyway, like, it's just such an iconic death. But the whole thing with, she was like a really good villainess, but the, the thing that really let her down was, if you remember, she, rather than just killing Bond, I don't think she knew he was Bond, but she knew he was a spy, but she takes him up in the plane and then just 
leaves leaves him to die in the plane and parachutes away. Yeah, yeah, not the best. Yeah, she's a mid tier one. She's not awful, but she's certainly not one of the best for me. She's just that kind of mid yeah mid tier. Okay, she's got a striking look. It's like you know, almost the you could say like Fiona Volpe was obviously in the film before that, and you know, influenced by her maybe. Yeah, definitely. Okay, okay. I think that covers our henchman episode. Fran, I know, is desperate to get away to eat some food. So, <laughs> we, for the sake of him and his stomach, we will cut this one. Uh, thanks, guys, for joining me. And uh, thank you to our sponsor, Zorin Industries, a fantastic uh, company. Feel free to check their products out. I don't know what they do, but they tell me that it's Zeppelins. great. Zeppelins. Lots of Zeppelins. <laughs> yeah. For no reason. Yep. So look into that, guys, for Christmas. And we will be back to discuss villains. Bye-bye. <laughs>